Hi, and welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. I'm Chris Lucian, and my co-host is Austin Chadwick. And today uh, we have Brett Schuhart, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about legacy code, uh, listening to the code, and uh, things that uh, he looks for when joining a team. So, uh, but before we get into any of that, Brett, uh, can you introduce yourself and you know talk sure. a little bit about what what mobbing is meant for you? Sure. Hey, uh, well, first of all, Chris, thank you, and also Austin for inviting me on. I uh, really appreciate it. And you've had a few of my colleagues. So, you know, it's great to be here. Um, so I've been coding for years and years. Um, I started coding in, in uh, well, I'll say I started coding in 1985. That's when I started my, my CS degree. But I had basic in COBOL and assembly by the time I got to college. And uh, and so, you know, fast forward, I've been I've been doing pairing and or mobbing since the early, early aughts. Um, I thought I knew what TDD was in, in in the early thousands, and then I started working at Object Mentor with Bob Martin, and then I learned what TDD really was. So I got educated. I also, to mention legacy code, about the time I joined Object Mentor, I happened to come across uh, Working Effectively with Legacy Code by Feathers, Michael Feathers. I read that book, and as I was reading that book, I, I went to give a talk at a conference, and Michael Feathers was there, and Bob Martin was there, and I talked to Bob, and that's actually when I joined Object Mentor. So, you know, so uh, that got me more into XP and such than I ever had. Uh, I was I was working at, at I, I'm lucky. I was working at Industrial Logic when, um, when Woody was there and the mobbing stuff, you know, his approach was starting to, you know, take shape and he kind of went and blossomed into his own thing, which is wonderful. So, I mean, I, I have, have managed to rub elbows with a lot of great people. And uh, just as a recent example, since we're talking about mob programming, uh, I, I recently switched from coaching over to a development role. And on the project, it's React. I've never done React, React Native. And uh, the first day, I had done a little bit of setup. I had installed some software. We started at 10 o'clock, and by 11.30, I'd pushed domain. Test first. Nice, yeah. So I went from never using React Native. I mean... I had read a little bit of React Native, but I didn't know React. Now, I, I, I basically kind of know JavaScript. I understand promises and asynchronous and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of actually using React and Redux, it's a different, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal, but you got you to get in their headspace. And so the mob just did it for me. It was wonderful. I mean, I I really, I don't mind coding on my own and I, I don't mind it at all, but I, I really prefer having another person. Um, and the reason I say that is I'm really bad at coming up with, requirements right like uh if you remember the we and the the me's on the we where people would make up their own like <laughs> yeah. I, I had one my wife and, and daughter had 20 each and they would change their clothes so if you yeah. asked me for requirements on on the we i would have had games and no me's so that's why i like having a second or third or fourth person because yeah. you it breaks you out of your ruts it breaks you out of your assumptions i mean if, if you can if you can let go of your need to have the answer and and listen to what's you know going on um, you're going to find better solutions. Um, and, and I can say from years of teaching that I have learned, I learned a whole bunch from teaching, you know, but there, but for the grace of God, go I, either from consulting or teaching. So I've seen a lot of clever examples of, of design solutions to familiar problems when I was teaching, which then you generalize and you can use later on. So, nice. yeah, I, 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 I mean, mobbing makes it, for me, it's, once you get over the, the ego issue of, my God, people are actually seeing me type. My God, people are actually seeing what I type. Once yeah. you get past that, it's wonderful. Yeah. And j just to let people know, I felt that as well. My first consulting job was for Smalltalk. And we were using um, a tool in Smalltalk called Envy. Have either of you heard of Envy? No. Every time you save, 
it's it's built-in reversion control with knowledge of the language. Every save is a, is a is a version, and mm -hmm. I didn't want people to see my saves. And so I actually had another instance of Smalltalk. I'd do my coding over there, and then when it was good enough, I'd copy it over here because I was mm -hmm. too embarrassed to have people see all my my steps. But once I once I got over, once I finally realized I don't know everything, and actually I internalized that. Once I gave up on on having to have the answers, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well nice. said. Well, yeah. uh, maybe, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say uh, before we started recording, uh, we were talking about uh, ensembling and mobbing, and I love the phrase you said, "not aloneing." And so, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, not aloneing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So I, I think I, I agree with the benefits you're talking about for sure, and. Uh, yeah, but I guess uh, maybe let's jump into some of the topics you're talking about. So uh, this uh, one, listening to code, really jumped out to me. What are you thinking there? Okay, so uh, really, when you come to let, let's just let's talk it in the context of test driven, right? So first of all, I make a distinction between test driven and test first. All right, for me, test driven is it's truly experimenting, right? You're you're making a statement, a fact that does isn't true. You write a test. That it, it expresses the universe should be this way. The universe is not this way. So you express what you want and then you make it happen. And that's sort of the experimental sort of going through and, and slowly through time growing your solution. For The only difference with that in test first is like for test first, I know I'm using, they say, the shunting yard algorithm. So I go and find the pseudocode for the shunting yard algorithm, yard algorithm. And then I instead try to develop a series of tests to build up to the algorithm rather than write all the code and then test all the paths. So um, one thing is, um, if you have a predetermined solution, uh, you might not be listening to the code. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have a predetermined solution, but it's how hard, how hard, like, like you're convinced that it's going to be the command pattern. This is definitely going to be the command pattern. Whatever I'm doing, it's going to be the command pattern. Actually, that's a bad example because it's often the command pattern. But let's <laughs> say... Uh, <laughs> right. Let's say uh, the most interesting use, say, wrong one. <laughs> you're you're gonna use yeah. There you go. You're gonna use you're gonna use visitor. All right. I, how do you guys? Do you, are you familiar with visitor? Are you, are you familiar? I I hate visitor. I absolutely despise <laughs> it. Here's no. Here's visitor is a fine pattern. There, first of all, none of the patterns are bad. But if you look at visitor, visitor is great in a context where you have two different things and they each have their own hierarchy and the hierarchies are stable. But if you have either unstable hierarchy, then you've got problems because you have exponential growth. And there's a version of a visitor, acyclic visitor that makes that better, blah, blah. So notice you can have all these ideas in your head, but if you force those solutions onto the problem, you're going to have a, a, a mess, right? So um, really when you're doing something, uh, if you can't get back to green in say a few seconds or a few minutes, you're probably not listening to the code. Right now, I, I know that I'm really giving you symptoms of not listening to code, not actually how do you listen to the code. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to answer that. I mean, I don't have a very good answer, but one well, answer is the TPP. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, what is the definition of listening to the code? Like, wait. <laughs> yeah, and, and really uh, it's, it's um, for me, it's, it, I'll, I'll use uh, Virginia Satir's definition of congruence, which is self other, and uh, you know, balancing self, other, and context, all right? There's me, there's the code, and then there's also the problem I'm trying to do. So the question is, am I trying to put more into it than I need? And if so, is it warranted? And, and, and a lot of times you don't know. So, the, so since I don't know, if, if I want, what I'll do instead is I'll try to find a smaller piece that I can verify more quickly, right? Like for example, when I'm mobbing with my current group at Industrial Logic, um, I would say, 
a third of the time or more, the first thing we do is, hey, well, let's try something real quick. We throw it over here. We throw some code in, in and, and we say, well, what does that do? Okay, that gives us an idea. Get checkout dot. Now let's write a test for that. Now, so so we, we're not necessarily test driven in that case. We're sort of test first. But the point is, we gathered as much information as cheaply as we could to figure out what the next step is. So if you're actively trying to figure out what the next, next step is, you're trying to listen to the code. If you're successful, then you're not going to find that you overdo too much. If you're unsuccessful, you learn from that and try to do less next time. Good, good example. Are you, are you guys friends? Are you, are you uh, fans of inheritance? Yeah, exactly. Now, so why why are you in on inheritance? If inheritance is the right solution, it's yeah. great. But if inheritance is added to remove a little bit, a few lines of duplication, it's abysmal. Yeah. A good example: uh, the pink operating system was a, an effort between IBM and Microsoft to develop a new operating system. And I I worked with a guy named Felix Laura who was on that project, and then he joined my other company, and. He told me about a time when Microsoft was sent a bill by IBM for net negative productivity because someone had taken a huge method and rewritten it to a much shorter method. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but uh, there was an example in the hierarchy of a button object, and that button object had 22 levels of inheritance to get to the base object. So, wait, you had never heard of the pink operating system? Wait, why? 22 levels of inheritance for a button, and you haven't heard of the operating system? Yeah. So, it's like a lot of things. The design patterns into the right solution are great. Uh, state is a good example of that, right? If you have a problem that is state dependent and also you have more than just one thing that varies based on the state, it's a great problem. But otherwise, you're adding a base class or a base interface, several subclasses. So the thing to remember, any solution, this is Weinberg, every solution introduces a problem. Every solution introduces a new problem. Hopefully, the new problem is less than the old problem. So if you're not getting more information or you're not solving part of the problem, then you're not listening to the code. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. but another part about listening to the code is being okay with less. So for me, um, when I read Refactoring by Martin Fowler, and then this also happened with uh, Working Effectively with Legacy Code, those two books gave me permission to change my definition of good. And what I mean by that is if, if you look at refactoring, let's say um, replace switch with polymorphism, it's like 17 steps or so. And when I show that to people, they're like, why the hell would you do all that? I can do this much faster than, than 17 steps. But uh, here's the essential thing. We cannot stop people from interrupting us. So all we can do is change our work to be interruptible, mm. right? So I'm on step seven, I'm green. Someone interrupts me, I push it, who cares? It's clean. It, and, and, and someone might say, yeah, but the design's not ugly. Our design's ugly, but it's like, well, have you looked at the rest of the code? I mean, when, when do you have uh, something that's not inconsistent and so on? So we apply these, 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 these metrics of goodness out of context. And so any design principle that only makes sense for Greenfield, throw it out. Utterly useless. Don't care about it. Yeah. Right. So if you ha if you have something that, that only works in, in one context, that's fine, but it's not a very good thing to work with. So um, nice. take small steps, no matter, and, and, and G-Paw Hill does as well. Not, no, smaller, yeah, even yeah. smaller, smaller still, you're still not there, right? Really small steps. Uh, like today, I think I've done five or six co commits to Maine um, mm -hmm. in the mob I was with, and it's, it's 2.30 my time. So, huh? and, and commits to Maine mean all the tests pass, no regression. Yeah. 
merged, et cetera. The, the usual, we're doing trunk-based development for the most yeah. part. Nice, nice. Yeah, and uh, what's funny about that, um, I'll interject here with a little bit of sharing uh, on the small commits thing, because uh, <clears throat> uh, recent experience is our mob. Have you heard of Arlo Belshi's Git commit notation? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Arlo, yeah. actually. He, he yeah. worked at Nestor Logic as well. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Right on. And yeah. so we've been using it for a while. And then we looked at the repo for it recently. And we realized that it's been updated to make, to to fit, like to do the Git notation for a commit. That's like in the good, like the better status, not the risky status. It has to be less mm -hmm. than like six lines of code. And we're like, whoa, you know, and so... There's times where we're unable to follow, but the, this past week been we've been trying to follow it. Like, okay, well, how could we, you know, we do something and it's like it's like 15 lines. And like, well, how could we have done it where it was a three-liner and then a four-liner and then a three-liner, you know, kind of thing. And it's been it's been a good exercise for us. In uh, I think it's I think it's a great yeah. exercise, right? Because yeah. it's forcing <laughs> you to try something different. It forces you to think about it differently. Yeah. And even if you don't end up going with the ideal six, whatever that ideal is, if you come up with a new way of thinking about things, it's wonderful. Yeah. Right. And and I don't know about y'all, but I, I don't work without constraints. Right. My brain is just like, I can't you've got to give me something I can lock down so I can make decisions about something else. Right. So mm -hmm. I cannot be creative without constraints. But yeah. that's why I meant one of my subjects was working effectively with the legacy code. I mean, you give me a language that has some basic OO capabilities or, you know, it could be it could be a functional language, whatever. But if I have the ability to somehow switch stuff out in a nice way for mm -hmm. test doubles, if the language supports that, then um, it's enjoyable. It's fun. Nice. Right? And recently, in fact, talking about listening to the code, I was working in a part of the code base that I didn't understand. This was a couple of weeks ago. And so I was like, well, I don't exactly understand all the necessary setups. So I just wrote, uh, I started doing effectively a characterization test against it. I literally did new blah, and I ran until I got a undefined exception. Yeah. And then I said, okay, what's the minimum I need to do to get that to pass. So this is an example of how you can literally let the code talk to you. You you call a function, you you call a constructor, whatever, and you let it fail. And then you do the least amount necessary to get to the next line of code and the next line of code. And then when it's done, you have a characterization test. Now, the question then you might ask yourself is, is this done? Probably not, but it's got me started. And I bet you I've learned a whole bunch about what maybe to do next. So a lot of times you can just treat something like a black box construct an instance in a test and start playing with it. And even if you end up throwing that away, that what you've learned will then inform your decisions. Maybe that's how you could figure out, like, you know, this is going to be a 15 line commit because I can't figure it out smaller. So try something, throw it away, try something again, throw it away or mm. do it and then learn. I mean, because when we do katas, that's really what we're doing. I mean, you, right. You do a kata the first time and it's like, okay, you do it the second time, third time you do it enough so that then you can make variants and understand that this thing that I decided to try is exactly this much different from how I'm used to it. And I, I stumbled across, across katas from teaching. I, I've done some version of monopoly over a thousand times easily. Um, not, not a full implementation, but put design, same thing with an RPN calculator, probably five, 600 times. I, I've typed it. I've actually typed it in, in, C, C++, Ruby, I, I, there's probably 15 different languages I've done it in. And so anytime I take that problem to a new space, I understand the problem and I understand how that problem has been solved in these languages. So if I change the language to say a functional language from a non-functional or from a OO language and I re-implement it, then I'm seeing how the, the, the change of the languages affects how, how I solve the problem. So one of the advantages of, of having problems that are like ones you're really familiar with is you then use those to learn new things, 
right? You take something that's somewhat familiar, applying it to a new environment and see how it varies. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so uh, with um, that process, uh, well, so with listening to the code um, and, and interacting with uh, legacy code, I guess, um, do you, uh, do you look for this in a mob as, as like a general uh, um, a thing, or is this, is this something just internal to you or, uh, do you externalize that, you know, as you're moving well, forward, is there any, any way that you get that to the rest of the team as you go? So, um, ad hocly, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big extrovert as you can probably, I don't know if you can tell, but I am. Um, <laughs> so, uh, one that, and also I'm a somewhat strong personality. So for me, my challenge is not to talk and not to, not to be overbearing, which I can do both of those in abundance, but, um, I've lost my train of thought. I apologize. Um, <laughs> if if I use a technique and the person does not seem familiar, actually, I, I, let me be specific. Drew was with me. Drew was not someone that has, and he's he's a colleague of mine. He's, he works at Industrial Logic as well. And so, since I I, I asked Drew, so I, let's just try something. I'm going to do I'm going to do a characterization test, and I said, well, this is what we're going to do, and then we just did it. So um, I will say that from a since I've, I've been coaching for years, I, I would, I will externalize what I'm doing anyway. I, ju I just do it unless people tell me to shut up. So that's, that's a natural thing that I do. Uh, but just repeating it, just as a, a mentioned, when you're describing it to somebody else, you're using a different part of your brain. And so you're actually forming different neural connections and you're memorizing things better. That's by the way, that's one of the, there's a couple things that mob does, mobbing does that you just, you may not even understand. And one of those is you're using, different parts of your brain like you, you you're familiar with rubber ducking both of you i assume right rubber ducking you actually talk to a oh, rubber yeah. duck yeah yeah, yeah. like yeah. how many times do you go talk to somebody and and while you're talking through it's like oh i just figured out the problem well one two things one you stood up which means more blood's going to your brain you've changed <laughs> your context by physically moving so you're actually changing your context if you're in a rut literally if you're in a rut move move your chair stand up sit down take a short walk, but by using your, your voice to verb, by actually verbalizing something you're using, they've done functional MRI scans. It's using a different part of the brain. So you're now using more of your brain and guess what? You're going to, you're going to get more out of it. And here's another little thing. If, if someone's saying something important, breathe into your nose and into your stomach, it, it activates your amygdala and your emotional centers. And so you're more likely to interpret what you're about to hear is important. Oh, interesting. Right. There's a lot of there's a, there's, a whole bunch of, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of neurological science about behind what we're doing. And I just heard this. Um, uh, so typically there's if, if I'm going to give you some numbers and the numbers are probably wrong, but they're for demonstration purposes. So at any given point, there, point there's like 200, 400 billion pieces of data that you could be taking in. We're taking in around 2000. So first of all, from a perception standpoint, we get about zero percent of what actually is going on. You can, through working with a group, actually go into sort of a flow state. When you're in a flow state, you actually start to take in more information because it suppresses the fault mode network, blah, blah. Again, there's neuro or neurology. So we are actually mobbing in a group, like physically together, and you start to get into a group flow. You start to take in more information. You start to notice more, and you actually you actually are forming. It's. It, I'll just say this. The, uh, the Navy SEALs spend more money on teaching people group consciousness than on teaching them how to fight. Wow. And Hell Week is about, can you sacrifice your individual ego 
to the goal of the team. And how do you do that? Through training so that you can put yourself into an altered state of reality where you're taking in more information than you normally would and working with other people more fluently. Sounds pretty freaking amazing to me, doesn't it? And that actually is happening in mobbing. It's, it's, I don't know how, I mean, there's more information to be had. It's, it's not as easy over, over this kind of communication, but it's, 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 it's still better than not mobbing. I mean, me working alone at home versus me working in a pair of mobbing, it's orders of magnitude better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nice. So, so yeah. And you can tell this is in the last few years, I've been, I've been into this kind of a headspace, like the neurology behind the brain and all that kind of stuff and what's going on. And uh, it's making me appreciate a lot of the stuff that people have said or that I've intuitively sort of guessed on my own. Nice. So, nice. No, I love it. And that that's, that's super fascinating. And uh, yeah, that's something, the neurology of it all is something I've been learning more about. Um, and uh, yeah, we actually have an upcoming uh, guest to talk more about that too as well. But one thing that cool. jumped out to me uh, about what you said there was... Um, so when I when when I saw the topic listening to the code, um, the first thing I thought of about is reading code, and my mind stuck there. But and then the more I heard you talk, I heard you talking about running experiments, doing tests, talking or asking the mob. You know, so um, I guess or do all those things count as listening to the code? Or I mean, like you know, I well, guess notice I didn't. Avenues. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna claim like I I post I said it in a way that was brilliant, but it was lucky. All right, I could have <laughs> said read read the code, but actually I do phrase it as listening to the code. And really, what I'm saying there is yeah. I don't care. I, I am not trying to project my interpretation onto it. I'm trying to understand what it is, right? Mm. Because it's you know, and this is just, this is just like philosophically, it's a lot easier to make a change if you have a, a better sense of what is. But if you're denying mm. what is, like you're saying, well. Like this, this should have been this pattern. Well, great. It should have been that pattern, but it's not that pattern. And that's not the code you're dealing with. You have to deal with the code that you're dealing with. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're in your head and, and thinking about what it should be, then you're not listening to the code. You're listening to your head. So really it's all about um, where's the knowledge and make sure that you're going to the source of knowledge and don't assume that you're the source of knowledge. Mm-hmm. You might be, but then, you know, on the flip side, let's say you are the source of knowledge. You know, if you have a person who's a specialist, fire that person or no hands on keyboard, right? No hands on keyboard. That's what you do. Uh, you, it, when you have an expert, you have that expert play a consulting role and then they're not driving, they're navigating. That's uh... And guess what? For them, they're now verbalizing something. They probably, especially if they're a specialist, they've probably been mostly in their head. It's going to make them better as well. Um, the, of course, some people don't don't want to have the experience and I, I, I completely understand it. I mean, I... I Mobbing can be forceful, right? Because I can try to force an approach on you. And, and I can tell you that there have been times on my current engagement where I had to not mob. Um, an early example was we were doing some native stuff and um, we, we were all like, it was just a black box. We had no idea. So try this, try this. And it got to the point where I was like, okay, I have a superficial knowledge. In general, if I'm doing something, eventually I go a level deeper. Like I've written JVM, I've written byte code for the JVM not because I thought that's a smart idea, but so that I understand it so that when I'm thinking about the JVM, I understand what the, I understand what the JVM does and I understand Java, right? I mean, same thing with, you know, C++ is just compiled C at its heart. So if you understand C, you understand C++ and therefore you understand Ruby because Ruby's written on top of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you, you can build up through a chain of reasoning how things all connect together. Um, did I get to the answer to the question? I think I, I, I as often I went far in a field. 
but listening to the, we're talking about listening to things, right? And, yeah. and, and, and I would argue that you cannot be listening to code if you're not executing it. Yeah. Right. Um, the, uh, so I have, I have two thoughts. One was uh, the expert not having hands on keyboard. I, I kind of refer to that almost as chaos engineering for the teams, right? So like if, if that, you know, so, <laughs> so what, what I like to do is I, I, I often recommend P, if somebody has become an expert on the team and maybe some people are, are struggling to, to keep up is just to remove that person from the team and still have them available for questions. Cause if they won the lottery and left the company, then they're much less available than if they're just on another team now. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I like, I like encouraging chaos engineering for teams to, to prove resiliency of the team by, and knowledge that way. And the other thought I had, um, for listening to the code, I think, you know, you talk about like executing the code and I think it's, it's really important. I, I also encounter a lot of people that have a lot of difficulty reading code, uh, mm. you know, especially newer, you know, so, so if somebody's fresh out of college and, uh, they've had an they, they've had a kind of a traditional education. They've only ever written code for their projects and read very small bits of code. But the the fact of the matter is is that most of those people are going to get hired onto a company and immediately be put on a ten year old code base that is way bigger and and something that they're swimming in. So, so like uh, one thing I like to recommend to people is um, the URL is codereading.club. And it, okay. it's, it's a, it's a kata just for code reading. And it's like, spend five minutes and, and you know, print out the code, spend five minutes and just high with a highlighter, highlight all the function declarations, highlight the, and then do arrows pointing to the execution. And what I really like about this exercise is, uh, uh it, it's that, and then you talk as a group about first impressions, like what's the first thing you notice What's the second thing you notice. And, um, it helps a lot with like that initial, uh, I guess what's going on moment. And I don't think a lot of people get a lot of training in that. They, they almost get it through osmosis over many years in the industry. So those, those, I, I, yeah, those, those are great observations. No, those, those yeah. are great observations. I love that idea. Yeah. And, you know, uh, a counter or not a counter, but a compliment to that is when I advise people on, like people will ask me how to learn. And, and honestly, it's really difficult for me to tell because I learned before Google. When I started using C++, there were no books on C++. I had the source code for the compiler. And then um, Bjorn Strusup's uh, C++ Annotator Reference Manual. I remember going to the bookstore and seeing it was going to be published in three months, right? So before Google, I, if, I, if I wanted to read a book, I would do it all the time. And I had the time because the expectations to learn were so much slower. Now, afterwards, deep learning is for people is difficult, but you, you still need to do it. So, oh, yeah. So back to I, I, I didn't finish the story. Um, I was, I, I could not concentrate in the mob and I could, and the thing is I, I, I had such a black box or lack of knowledge. So what I said was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go and work on a tutorial. I went and worked on a tutorial. I set up a basic project with react native that was with some native stuff. I got it basically working. And then I brought that back to the group the next day. And then we started making uh, variations on that. And actually one of my colleagues, friend, Mike Risa, who also works for industrial logic, he has a, a good saying don't debug a large program. Yeah. Right. So we made a small program and then we, we and what we were doing was a secondary display on an Android device. And we ended up with a, a solution that was like five lines of code. Right. I mean, it was really simple. We started processing the back end and the front end. We have two top level apps and it just works. I mean, it, it, it's actually, we inadvertently came across a general solution for end screens, ignoring performance issues. So, and, and again, like, 
the most complicated thing was we have a function that starts a thread in the <laughs> native code and then everything else is react native so it's like oh that but at the beginning none of us knew what it was going to look like so it's like if you look at the lines of code to actually do what we did it was it's embarrassingly small but it took us three weeks over you know over time to figure it out so that was a case where my brain had too much of a lack of knowledge and all of us had too much of a lack of knowledge so someone had to get enough of a, a foundation to work from and so you know i'm not a hundred percent pairing or mobbing though i prefer it's my it's my default is to prefer to work not alone and then in a situation i'll pick working alone but i can tell you as a per i'm old enough that i used to be an architect at a company i had an office and so on but that office quickly became the meeting room because we didn't have enough meeting rooms ah, right cool. so even though i had that title in that role it's like well i mean whatever yep yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah i totally hear that and um yeah flowing in and out of mobbing uh is something i'll do quite a bit as well like especially when you're talking about a problem you're talking about we're we're all struggling to figure out the problem how to solve the problem that we're facing the mob you know i notice a lot more experimentation happens on people's own uh devices and whether they leave the mob or not but a lot of independent experimentation happens and what you what your experience you just shared, we recently had that in our mob as well, where we were trying to solve a problem and there were wildly different solutions to the same problem. And some of them were like, I kid you not, like 50 times more complicated. And then the one and so I think there's a lot of value to rapid experimentation and sharing of the results of those experiments, because what we landed with the solution that was like what you said, it was five lines of code and one piece of uh, technical architecture. And there were people writing 50 page blogs that involved you know, three or four different pieces of architecture to accomplish the same thing. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal what you can discover and how the simple solution can be so nice. <laughs> Way less to, to, to hold and, on and also, to. Yeah. Also, a solution, regardless of whether it's simple or not, it, yeah. it, it does a couple of things. It reduces the the net yeah. increase in value if mm -hmm. you change it at all. Not to suggest yeah. you shouldn't change it, but you know, having something concrete, it's it's a lot harder to argue about how my idea, which is fifty, you know, fifty more classes and all that, or fifty times more complex, yeah. is better when you've yeah. got something that works. You know what I mean? Right. It's right. Yeah, and so it it's it really yeah it really. Um, Working code really kind of puts a, a bit of a, a damper on um, ivory, tar ivory tower argumentation. Though, yes. as a counter to that, we have something in our current code that just it just bugs the heck out of me. All right, it's, it's simple. We have a, a a little number pad and it says discount amount, and it has a negative on the on the amount. I'm like a negative discount is you're adding an amount. You know, it's like, it, and I just can't <laughs> let go of it. But luckily, we're not dealing. So it's so. I, I I can obsess on that one detail, even though it's yeah. utterly irrelevant. And seriously, it's it's I know the line of code where we're at the dash. So it's like it's nothing to do. But I'm like, I can't. This really bugs the heck out of me. Right. Yeah. So I just need to get away from that piece of code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, no. sometimes, and actually, I you know, I, I, I say that jokingly, but but there are some times you might see things that actually I'll use the word trigger in the specific way. It's like it, you know. When, when I'm using trigger in the sense that you're experiencing emotion to the point where the part of you that is able to observe yourself of, of, of experiencing the emotion is shut down. So basically you are in that emotion. In, in yoga, you, we would say something like uh, you either have an emotion or you are an emotion. You don't want to be an emotion. 
You want to experience an emotion and you want to understand that you're experiencing the emotion. So I can actually rationally, I can look at myself getting frustrated with a dot, a dash and realize it's not that important. Yes, you're frustrated. Great. I'm frustrated. Cool. But it's not like the frustration is ah, taking me over. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. if you're, if your internal observer or your watcher or your opman is, is present, then you're probably not in too much trouble. But as soon as, as soon as not, you're definitely not reading the code, right? You're definitely not in the moment. You're, you're definitely somewhere else. And if you're somewhere else and you're not in the moment, if you're not, you know, if you're not congruent, if you're not balancing self other context, then um, I don't know what you're doing, but it's not effective. It's not effective communication. It's not effective coding. It's, you know, there's, there's some kind of forcefulness to it. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, we are coming to somewhat close to time, but maybe we can get your, uh, before we close your soundbite on uh, what are the things you first look for when you join a team? Yeah. What do you, yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, just, so uh, I'll say there, there's only one book you need to read and it's the principles of product development flow by Donald Reinerson, I, I hope. And actually we, we, we did a book review on that and John Reed, was it John? I think John posted something on Twitter and, and he showed up for our book club twice oh, and it was cool. amazing it was amazing having him there but but anyway in that book so that book is uh it has like let's say it's 14 chapters 12 chapters i don't remember each chapter is a subject and from that he draws a series of principles that might help you in situations talks about queuing theory blah 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 but you could actually say that it summarizes lean agile safe all of the above depending on on how you decide to use the principles but there are three things that, that come up all the time. And the three things are whip, how much are you doing? And generally speaking, less whip will give you more through, faster throughput. Generally, that's not always the case. Uh, how big are you working on things, batch size? Like, are you doing one commit a week? Because if you're doing one commit, if you're doing less than a commit a day, you're not doing continuous integration by definition, by anyone's mm -hmm. definition of continuous integration. So how big are you working, batch size? How much are you working on? And handoff, cues or handoff. Like, you know, uh, do I have to wait for that person to do things? And generally speaking, reducing all three of those will tend to increase your throughput. But really, it's all about what's the things we can do to get the feedback faster? Because 99 times out of 100, it's about information or lack of information. And so anything you can do to increase feedback is going gonna, is gonna to speed it up. So if I go to a group and we've got you know, let's say we've got 10 people and we've got five things in flight we're pairing. Eh, maybe okay. Like I, I guess we're pairing five things in flight. If you've got if you've got 10 things in flight and you've got 10 people and 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 you're you claim to be pairing, and you're I'm not sure what you're doing. And um, so I've got some basic formulas for that. But the if you look at the actual uh, inputs into those things, it's not like a linear graph. It, there, it's a, there's a bit of a curve. And generally speaking, it's sharp at the ends and more flat in the middle. So like if your whip is N, if you can get to N divided by two, you'll probably notice a drastic improvement, but you won't notice the same drastic improvement if you divide it by two again, right? So it's just, those are the kinds of shapes. So reduce how much you're doing. Really it's stop starting, start finishing. Ready? Stop starting, start finishing. So how do you do that? work on smaller things, get feedback sooner, integrate more often, and have the people available so that you can get stuff done. That, that, that's, so you just look at those three, three things and then you manipulate those three things. And sometimes the first thing you do is you don't change them. The first thing you do is most of the times people don't even know what they are. So how many things are you working on right now? Visualize it, write, write out a Kanban, visualize. 
How many things are you working on? Uh, how long do they take? Track that. Like, is it taking on an average three days? Is it taking, oh, here's the thing. Is it taking one to three days? Great. Is it taking one day sometimes, four months sometimes? Not great. So that can give you some, some indication of maybe, are you slicing things nicely? You know, those kinds of things. So whip, batch size, handoff. Those are, those are the things. Nice. I, 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 cues and handoff, really, same thing. And anytime you introduce a cue, you, anytime you introduce a buffer, you increase the cycle time. Mm, yeah. But it might be the right thing to do. I, I'm not suggesting you don't, right? Really, it gets down to, the, are you doing it because that's how you do it? Or are you doing it because it makes sense? And even if you do the wrong thing, if your intention is good, then it's not the wrong thing, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm going to tie it back to refactoring. The mm. wrong thing is taking 17 steps that are each stable that I can check in whenever I want because I can just do it in half the time as long as I'm not interrupted, right? Mm. So yeah. so it, it seems like what I'm doing is wrong because I'm taking too many steps, but I'm not taking too many steps. I'm working in a way where I am more back to a point of stability so that when I get interrupted, it doesn't matter. I lose my context. It takes me 15 minutes to get back that context. Well, that's fine. I'm green. Who cares? Yeah. Right? So- yeah. So anything you can do to make it so that you can work in a way that where you're more interruptible is, is going to probably improve your ability to listen to things. It's going to yeah. allow. Yeah. That, that's um, yeah. what's funny, but working to live, to be more interruptible, it sounds terrible, but I've, I've actually, uh, you know, I learned it. I think I learned it from code from working on code uh, kind of from the lean thinking that you're talking about. But you know, it's I've actually applied it to so many things in life that because I don't know if, if uh, with little kids, they tend to interrupt you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, when I'm working around the house, I'll be walking around with a sticky or something so that if I'm interrupted, it's OK, because I can just be like, oh, I can pick up where I left off, you know, or whatever. And yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. like I try to do everything around the house so such that I'm, if I'm interrupted, it's OK. I'm not leaving like. I don't know, the sink running or something terrible or whatever. <laughs> Nails on the ground or whatever. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. And, and by the way, and so that 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 just, just I know we're going maybe going a little bit long, but that's an yeah. example of transaction costs, right? How mm -hmm. expensive is it for you to make it safe to stop? And how expensive is it for you to pick it back up again? And that would feed into how big of the thing you're working on, how much time you need, and so on. So the reason that graphs have a, a bit of a curve into it, it's it's a combination of of a number of things, but generally speaking, I mean, I, I, I can't, I'm not going to bring up a graphic for you, but um, it's, uh, it's generally sharp at the ends and flat more in the bottom with, with tendency being towards the, the left side of the graph for, for all three of those numbers. Nice. So, uh, so step one, if you're not measuring them, measure them, see, see what they are. And then maybe step two, see if you can start manipulating them. And by the way, do a small experiment, see what happens. Don't make a big sweeping change. Don't come in and drop in safe or scrum when you're not doing anything. And then to see what the change is. Cause you have no idea other than the Hawthorne effect. We change things, you know, maybe the effect, maybe we're more effective, maybe we're less effective. So, you know, feedback, you can't respond to feedback if the feedback is on 20 things. Like, Hey, let's do a pull request with uh, 15 files and 150 line changes. Mm. That's I, I, unless you're going line by line and reviewing with the person that did it, which is going to take about as much time as if you had just done it mm. together. So yeah, I, I, yeah, on a soapbox, yeah, pull you. requests are for most software development. For most software development that I work on, pull requests are an utter waste of time, and they give you more defects and less quality. 
and I'll throw up. And by the way, all code freezes are, are examples of buffers and delays. Code freezes, I'm saying this in this very specific way. Code freezes are the cause of defects. Ah, not, not, and the reason I say that is you freeze the code, you think it's going to be okay. The code never gets frozen, but you do introduce a delay before you continue working on things or you, you work on a branch because you've got a code freeze. The longer you diverge, the more likely you're going to have real conflicts and, and also the more subtle they're going to be. Right. Nice. So I'm, I'm actually going, I'm going to stand on a soapbox to say code freezes cause defects. There you go. Wow. Nice. How's that for how's that for a closing statement? That's a good closing statement. <laughs> That's a closing yeah. Statement. And and speaking of closing statements, uh, we're getting, we are we are at time. So uh, any any other closing statements or anything you want to share a plug before we close it out? Well, you know, I, I work with an industrial logic. We're help, we're here to help you make uh, better software sooner. Um, so coaching and implementation. I I, I I'm not I, I'm a dork. I'm not much of a salesperson. So um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I would say, here's, here's a closing statement. If you can learn to feel in your body where you tend to be, resist things, like do you catch it in your stomach and so on, if you start to observe that and then you occasionally go through that, hmm. you're going to find huge changes in your life. So if you find, I, I'm not going to do it that way. I can't possibly work with that person. All right. I don't know why you can't work. With that. And by the way, if it's because that person is is someone that you can't work with because they've abused you or something, I'm not saying like that. If you're just right. resisting without any kind of information, then maybe you don't work with that person. But ask yourself, what is it that's causing me to hesitate? What is it that's blocking me from from doing that? Because when you go through instead of away, that's when progress happens, and that's general advice for a lot of situations. The the, the path is through, not away, <laughs> not up, not down, through. So go to your fears. But nice. pick the small fears first because, you know, once you start doing that, it gets easier. So, you know, no, yeah. nothing too frightful. Nice, nice. No, 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 I've, I've definitely observed that. And uh, wow, thank you so much for sharing today. We've, we've uh, you know, I've definitely learned a lot. This is a very inspiring conversation uh, to our audience. Uh, you know, if you, you yourself, or you know, people who are working with legacy code, trying to learn how to listen to the code and uh, looking for things to look for. Uh, when you join a team to help them take their next step towards improvement for working through a problem instead of away from it and helping them get that progress. Uh, yeah, please share this with them. Uh, please like and subscribe uh, and reach out to us on YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn and more. And uh, thanks again, Brett. We really appreciate you being on the show today. And uh, mob on everyone and have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.